21st century, humans have become well acquainted with not only the concept, but also the practical reality of robots. In fact, robots have become a very real concern for many workers throughout the industrialized world, as ever-advancing technology threatens to replace them. But while we live in an age where robots are becoming more commonplace, it was not too long ago that they were the subject of only myth and legend. Nevertheless, it would be a very difficult position to argue that humans have not understood at least the concept of robots for thousands of years. The Sumerians, Chinese, Egyptians, Greeks, and Indus Valley civilization have a multitude of accounts concerning robots and automata in general. As usual, we want to focus solely on the ancient accounts, thus it is required we set sort of a timeline cutoff on this topic. While it is generally accepted that the term ancient demarcates the time periods before and after 500 CE, we will be extending that range up to approximately 1000 CE for our presentation here. When it comes to the first known account of a robot in our recorded history, we posit that the Epic of Gilgamesh may hold that distinction and not with one, but possibly two different character descriptions. Many Sumerian scholars have interpreted that the character of Enkidu, as described in the epic, is the description of an android. The people of Uruk had complained to the gods that their mighty king Gilgamesh was too harsh. The goddess Ninma formed Enkidu from water and clay as a rival to Gilgamesh, but he eventually becomes his companion. Although Enkidu is described as being created from clay and water, he still fits the most basic definition of an android, an automaton in the form of a human being. As the epic progresses, Gilgamesh and Enkidu confront Humbaba, which is the second character that has been interpreted by some researchers as a robot. Enlil had appointed Humbaba as the guardian of the cedar forest. He is variously described as a monstrous humanoid with animal features, a wicked demon, and or a giant that took the form of a fire-breathing dragon. More specific descriptions claim Humbaba had a vast humanoid body covered with scaled plates, and from his forehead a radiant beam emanated. It was said from the beam's killing force, none could escape. In fact, a Sumerian cylinder seal seems to depict Gilgamesh and Enkidu flanking a mechanical robot. The two eventually decapitate Humbaba. Another noteworthy reference to possible robots is found in the Sumerian text known as the Descent of Inanna. Upon her arrival in the underworld to visit her sister, Queen Irish Kigal, Inanna is killed by her sister and her corpse is hung on a nail. After three days and three nights, an attendant at the entrance of the underworld alerts Inki who comes to her rescue. He fashions two sexless creatures to enter the underworld with the food of life and the water of life to revive Inanna and bring her back to the world. Of the two beings, it is said that Enki forged them from Abzu clay and that they were beings without blood and immune to death rays. In Greek mythology, Hephaestus was regarded as the god of technology, blacksmiths, craftsmen, and artisans. And although some researchers disagree, Hephaestus was the likely creator of Talos, a giant bronze automaton who guarded the island of Crete by throwing boulders at the ships of unwanted visitors and invaders. 
Ancient texts indicate that Talos was given to either Minos or Europa as a gift. Talos' only weakness was his ankle, where the single vein containing all his life fluid was sealed with a thin membrane of skin or a bronze nail. Talos emerged most notably from the tales of Jason and the Argonauts circa 250 BCE, but detailed descriptions of the giant automaton existed 150 years earlier in 400 BCE. Talos' task was relatively simple, to run around Crete three times a day and repel unwelcome visitors by either hurling huge stones at their ships or by heating himself red hot and then enfolding them in a fiery embrace. As Jason and the Argonauts approached the shores of Crete, Talos noticed their ship and tried warding it off in his usual ever-effective manner. Jason and the Argonauts were able to overcome the bronze man only with the aid of the sorceress Medea. Fearless, she mounted on the deck of the ship and bewitched the eyes of Talos in such a manner that the bronze man was unable to see before him a sharp crag on which he subsequently grazed his ankle. The ichor gushed forth like melted lead, and Talos fell on the ground with the mighty thud of a huge pine. Beyond the likely creation of Talos, Hephaestus looms large in the topic of ancient robots and automata. The Greek myths and the Homeric poems sanctified in stories that Hephaestus had a special power to produce motion. Hephaestus built automatons of metal to work for him. This included tripods that walked to and from Mount Olympus. He gave to the blinded Orion his apprentice Sedalion as a guide. In some versions of the myth, Prometheus stole the fire that he gave to man from Hephaestus' forge. Hephaestus also created the gift that the gods gave to man, the woman Pandora and her pithos. He made the golden and silver lions and dogs at the entrance of the palace of Alcanus in such a way that they could bite the invaders. And he also crafted the four horse-shaped automatons that pulled the adamantine chariot of his two sons. Archytas was a renowned mathematician and politician, but according to some ancient sources, he may also be the grandfather of robotics. Sometime around 350 BCE, Archytas is said to have designed and built an air or steam-powered wooden dove that could flap its wings and fly through the air. No schematics or prototypes of the bird have survived to today, so modern scholars can only guess as to how it functioned. The Hellenistic engineer and inventor Tisibius fitted his clepsydras with a dial and pointer for indicating the time, and added elaborate alarm systems which could be made to drop pebbles on a gong or blow trumpets by forcing bell jars down into water and taking the compressed air through a beating reed at preset times. Philo was the author of a large work called The Mechanique Syntaxis, or Compendium of Mechanics. One of the most famous inventions was the repeating crossbow which contained the oldest known application of a chain drive, whereby two flat-linked chains were connected to a windlass. Winding back and forth would automatically fire the machine's arrows until its magazine was empty. His escapement mechanism was the primary component in a wash stand. A counterweighted spoon supplied by a water tank tips over in a basin when fully releasing a pumice in the process. Once the spoon has emptied, it is pulled up again by the counterweight, closing the door on the pumice by the tightening string. Remarkably, Phylon's comment that its construction is similar to that of clocks 
indicates that such escapement mechanisms were already integrated in ancient water clocks. Heron was a mathematician, physicist, and engineer. He produced at least three texts, the Pneumatica, Mechanica, and Automata, that testify to the existence of hundreds of different kinds of machines capable of automated movement. The following is a list of Heron's better-known creations. Heron described a mechanism that was driven by steam. The name translates to the ball of Aeolus, Aeolus being the Greek god of the wind. Predating Heron's writings, a device called an Aeolipile was described in the 1st century BCE by Vitruvius in his treatise De Architectura. However, it is unclear whether it is the same device or a predecessor, as there is no mention of any rotating parts. Typically, the water is heated in a simple boiler which forms part of a stand for the rotating vessel. Where this is the case, the boiler is connected to the rotating chamber by a pair of pipes that also serve as the pivots for the chamber. Heron is said to have made an automata made that would fill a cup with a mixture of wine and water when the vessel was placed in her hand. When you put an empty cup to the robot's left hand, it would move down towards the stable right hand, which was holding a vessel containing wine. When the hand reached at the vessel, the automatic machine was able to fill the cup with the desirable quantity of wine. Next, the robot would pour water in the cup, mixing it with the wine. Heron's pipe organ was the first recorded instance of wind-powered machinery. For instance, his wind wheel used the energy of passing gusts of wind to make an organ play. This didn't require any great technical prowess like his steam engine or mechanical plays, but it did apparently require his unique insight. There aren't any records of wind-powered machines before Heron came along. Believe it or not, Heron invented the very first automatic vending machine. When a coin was introduced through a slot on the top of the machine, a set amount of holy water was dispensed. When the coin was deposited, it fell upon a pan attached to a lever. The lever opened up a valve which let some water flow out. The pan continued to tilt with the weight of the coin until the coin fell off, at which point a counterweight would snap the lever back up and turn off the valve. <clears throat> Sources indicate that Heron created the first programmable robot as a device to entertain audiences at the theater. In about 60 CE, he constructed a cart with rope wrapped around two independent axles with a falling weight to provide power. Using pegs projecting from the axle, Heron could vary how the rope was wound around the axle, allowing the robot to change direction and move along a pre-programmed course. This primitive mechanism is very similar to a modern binary computer language. Old-fashioned punch cards operated on exactly the same principle. According to accounts, the device was controlled by a series of ropes with knots tied in them. As the rope was pulled through the device, the knots moved levers which caused actions to happen on the miniature stage. Heron used the same system of ropes, cylindrical axles, and knots to create a mechanical play of almost 10 minutes in length, including dropping metal balls onto a sheet of metal to resemble thunder. Heron designed an automatic temple door opener, which used heat and pneumatics to open a set of temple doors. To open the doors, the priest lit a fire on the altar, 
heating the air within and causing it to expand. This expansion in volume forced water out of the sphere and into the bucket, which moved downwards under the extra weight. This bucket was connected to a rope coiled around a spindle, and as the bucket moved downwards, the spindle revolved, making the doors open. An odometer is a device used for indicating distance traveled by a vehicle. Vitruvius, around 27 and 23 BCE, describes such a device, and Heron also describes an odometer in chapter 34 of his Dioptra. Chariots with wheels of four feet diameter turns exactly 400 times in one Roman mile. For each revolution, a pin on the axle engaged a 400-tooth cogwheel, thus making one complete revolution per mile. This engages another gear with holes along the circumference where pebbles are located that drop one by one into a box. The number of miles traveled is given simply by counting the number of pebbles. The Dioptra was a practical invention of Heron that became a foundation of surveying as the ancient Greeks built sprawling cities and erected great temples and monuments. It also became a mainstay of Greek astronomers, allowing them to judge the position and elevation of celestial bodies. The Liza is an ancient philosophical volume of stories which is believed by Chinese and Western scholars to have been composed sometime in the 4th century BCE. The text contains numerous stories, one of which features an astounding account of what may be an ancient engineering marvel, much older than the text itself. The text describes an engineer named Yan Shi. Sometime around 1023 to 957 BCE, Yan Shi presented a marvelous invention before the fifth king of the Chinese Zhao dynasty, King Mu. Yan Shi had created a life-sized automaton which was able to move and perform several impressive functions, including singing. The king stared at the figure in astonishment. It walked with rapid strides, moving its head up and down so that anyone would have taken it for a live human being. The artificer touched its chin and it began singing, perfectly in tune. It touched his hand, and it began posturing, keeping perfect time. As the performance was drawing to an end, the robot winked its eye and made advances to the ladies in attendance, whereupon the king became incensed, and would have had Yanshi executed on the spot, had not the latter, in mortal fear, instantly taken the robot to pieces to let him see what it really was. And indeed, it turned out to be only a construction of leather, wood, glue, and lacquer, variously colored white, black, red, and blue. Examining it closely, the king found all the internal organs complete. Liver, gall, heart, lungs, spleen, kidneys, stomach, and intestines. And all over these, again, muscles, bones, and limbs with their joints, skin, teeth, and hair. All of them artificial. The king tried the effect of taking away the heart and found that the mouth could no longer speak. He took away the liver and the eyes could no longer see. He took away the kidneys and the legs lost their power of locomotion. The king was delighted. In the 600s, Chinese engineer Wang Kun, serving under Su Yang Ti, described an outdoor mechanical puppet theater in the palace courtyards and gardens with 72 finely dressed figures 
that drifted on barges floating down a channel. To impress his guests, the emperor's automata would stop to serve them wine. At each bend where one of the emperor's guests was seated, he was served with wine in the following way. The wine boat stopped automatically when it reached the seat of a guest, and the cupbearer stretched out its arm with the full cup. When the guest had drunk, the figure received it back and held it for the second one to fill again with wine. Then immediately the boat proceeded, only to repeat the same at the next stop. All these were performed by machinery set in the water. In the work titled Miscellaneous Records from Tuyang, there is an intriguing story of automata in 9th century China. A guardsman, Han Chi Ho, who was Japanese by origin, made a wooden cat which could catch rats and birds. This was carried to the emperor, who amused himself by watching it. Later, Han made a framework which was operated by pedals and called the Dragon Exhibition. This was several feet in height and beautifully decorated. At rest, there was nothing to be seen, but when it was set in motion, a dragon appeared as large as life with claws, beard, and things complete. This was presented to the emperor, and sure enough, the dragon rushed about as if it was flying through clouds and rain. But now the emperor was not amused and fearfully ordered the thing to be taken away. Naturally, Han feared for his life. Han Chi Ho threw himself upon his knees and apologized for alarming his imperial master, offering to present some smaller examples of his skill. The emperor laughed and inquired about his lesser techniques. So Han took a wooden box, several inches square from his pocket, and turned out from it several hundred tiger flies, red in color, which he said was because they had been fed on cinnabar. Then he separated them into five columns to perform a dance. When the music started, they all skipped and turned in time with it, making small sounds like the buzzing of flies. When the music stopped, they withdrew one after the other into their box as if they had rank. The emperor, greatly impressed, bestowed silver and silks on him. But as soon as he had left the palace, he gave them all away to other people. A year later, he disappeared, and no one could ever find him again. During the reign of Ajatasatru, Buddha died, and he was entrusted with defending his precious remains. The king hid them in an underground chamber near his capital, which is present-day Patna, in northeastern India. Traditionally, statues of giant warriors stood on guard near treasures, but in the legend, Ajatasatru's guards were actually robots. In India, automatons, or mechanical beings that could move on their own, were called Buddha Vahanayanta, or spirit movement machines in Sanskrit. According to the story, it was foretold that Ajatasatru's robots would remain on duty until a future king would distribute Buddha's relics throughout the realm. In some versions, the robots are driven by a water wheel or made by Vishvakarman, the Hindu engineer god. But the most striking version came from lost Sanskrit text. In this tale, many Yantrakara, robot makers, lived in the western land of the Yavanas, Greek speakers. In Roma Visaya, the Indian name for the Greco-Roman culture of the Mediterranean world. The Yavanas' secret technology of robots was closely guarded. The robots of Roma Visaya carried out trade and farming and captured and executed criminals. Robot makers were forbidden to leave or reveal their secrets. If they did, robotic assassins pursued and killed them. 
Rumors of the fabulous robots reached India, inspiring a young artisan who wished to learn how to make automatons. In the legend, the young man finds himself reincarnated in the heart of Roma Visaya. He marries the daughter of the master robot maker and learns his craft. One day, he steals plans for making robots and hatches a plot to get them back to India. Certain of being slain by killer robots before he could make the trip himself, he slits open his thigh, inserts the drawings under his skin, and sews himself back up. Then he tells his son to make sure his body makes it back and starts the journey. He's caught and killed, but his son recovers his body. Once back in India, the son retrieves the plans from his father's body and follows their instructions to build the automated soldiers for King Ajatasatru to protect Buddha's relics in the underground chamber. Well hidden and expertly guarded, the relics and robots fell into obscurity. Two centuries after Ajatasatru, Ahsoka ruled the powerful Mauryan Empire. Ahsoka constructed many stupas to enshrine Buddha's relics across his vast kingdom. According to the legend, Ahsoka had heard the legend of the hidden relics and searched until he discovered the underground chamber guarded by the fierce android warriors. Violent battles raged between Ahsoka and the robots. In one version, the god Vishvakarman helped Ahsoka to defeat them by shooting arrows into the bolts that held the spinning constructions together. In another tale, the old engineer's son explained how to disable and control the robots. At any rate... Ahsoka ended up commanding the army of automatons himself. Although there is not an abundance of material available on automata in ancient Egypt, it is important to note that there is a fair amount of overlap with the Greeks. The city of Alexandria was where Heron perfected his skills. It leads us to wonder how much he utilized the ancient text in the library of Alexandria to inspire his inventions. In ancient Egypt, statues of divinities were made of stone, metal, or wood. The statues were animated and played a key role in religious ceremonies. They were believed to have a soul derived from the divinity they represented. In the New Kingdom of Egypt, from the 16th century BCE till the 11th century BCE, ancient Egyptians would frequently consult these statues for advice. The statues would reply with a movement of the head. According to one Egyptian legend, Pharaoh Hatshepsut, dispatched her squadron to the land of incense after consulting with the statue of Amun. Before we ended this presentation, we wanted to present one last example of ancient automata. It is basically an astronomical clock that was made over 2,000 years ago. But in this case, it is not a mere description contained in an ancient text or even a myth. It is solid, tangible evidence of advanced technology that disrupts mainstream academia's historical paradigm. In 1959, Princeton science historian Derek DeSola Price provided the most thorough scientific analysis of the contraption to date. After a careful study of the gears, he deduced that the mechanism was used to predict the position of the planets and stars in the sky depending on the calendar month. A main gear would move to represent the calendar year and would, in turn, move many separate smaller gears to represent the motions of the planets, sun, and moon. So you could set the main gear to the calendar date and get approximations for where these celestial objects would be in the sky on that date. It was a computer in the sense that you, as a user, could input a few simple variables and it would yield a flurry of complicated mathematical calculations. 
Today, the programming of computers is written in digital code, a series of ones and zeros. This ancient clock had its code written into the mathematical ratios of its gears. All the user had to do was enter the main date on one gear, and through a series of subsequent gear turns, the mechanism could calculate things like the angle of the sun crossing the sky. We know a lot about where and when the device was made from the inscriptions in the bronze. The back face is covered with instructions for its use, as is its inside if you open the device. These include descriptions of the controls, various calendars, and mentions of the celestial bodies tracked by the device. By the language and terminology used, as well as by the context of its find among the other artifacts recovered from the shipwreck, we now have a pretty good idea of where and when it was built. The middle of the 2nd century BCE, probably in Syracuse or Corinth. To date, no other mechanism possessing this level of technological sophistication has been discovered from that time period. This mechanism is truly what is known as an out-of-place artifact regardless of the academic reluctance to so label it. We hope you enjoyed our presentation on ancient robots, androids, and other automata. Examples of such inventions only increase as you look past our cutoff date of circa 1000 CE. The steady progression of these technologies has continued all the way up to our current time. In fact, the technology of robotics has come full circle in many ways. It is no small irony that we are now using robots to discover the hidden secrets of ancient cultures, and some of those secrets are undeniably the existence of robots and automatons in the deep past. If you enjoyed this presentation, we encourage you to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and turn on the notification setting to receive future episodes.